Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Queering the Air, an hour of critically engaged queer commentary and music. I'm your host for the next hour, Iris. Thanks to Encyclopedia for the previous hour of broadcasting. You're tuned into 3CR Community Radio 855am on your dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au, on digital radio and later on demand and podcasted. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nations whose land this show is produced on. Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded, and resistance led by First Nations people against ongoing genocide and colonisation is occurring across this continent now called Australia. And from that note to the pandemic, knowing there have been pandemics before used as biological warfare by British colonisation, of which I'm a structural beneficiary as a white settler on these lands, um, yeah, it's important for those of us in that position to ask what our responsibilities are and act in solidarity from our complicity. And yeah, I'd like to remind listeners as a COVID-19 First Nations Vic mutual aid fund on shelf to get behind. In addition, there's so many people here, I guess there's a problem as always in a capitalist colonial white supremacist system, but especially even more so now there's so many people with no access to income and safety nets and undocumented migrant solidarity are doing work around that and they have their crowdfund on GoFundMe which is winding up on May 25th. In their latest update they say and I quote for Scarlet Alliance which works with undocumented and precarious migrants working in the sex industry this this need isn't going away anytime soon as the federal government has told strip clubs and brothels to remain closed even under step three of restrictions. We have hefty fines for both venues and individual workers, so their members are looking at no income for the foreseeable future, end quote. So yeah, yeah, we see sex workers who are non-citizens with no access to any income. Um, so yeah, further criminalization of migrant sex workers there. And so definitely check out Scarlet Alliance's Emergency Fund Support for Sex Workers in Australia. That's up on Shaft. And finally, I mean, I can't mention all the things going on and it's amazing to see all these things going on as well. But one last shout out is to RISE refugees, survivors and ex-detainees who are organising against mandatory detention and supporting their refugee and ex-detainees communities. Um, and they have a fundraiser 
entitled Increasing Support Services for Refugees During COVID-19, and that's up on Give Now. So check that out. They're doing some amazing work um, supporting people with no income as well. So moving from solidarity crowdfunding in this moment to today's show on Queering the Air, I will be bringing you an interview I did with Julia Rosebuck, which previously aired on 3CR's Women on the Line, a show airing gender non-conforming and women's voices. Um, that said, I had to cut out a question from that show for the sake of time. So this is a slightly extended version. And continuing on some of those those themes around disability and care work that Julia talks about later in the show, I will be going back to September 28th, 2018, where I spoke to Jessica Abashi and Fox Mulder about their work in the collective in, in sickness and stealth. But first to Julia on care work and disability, and I'll just introduce Julia. Julia Rosevark is a queer takapui writer from Bolu, so-called Perth, now based in Nam, so-called Melbourne, Australia. Their writing focuses on trauma, connection, collective healing, and their experiences growing up with a chronic illness. Outside of writing, Julia is a student, facilitator, and telephone support worker. Their other interests include reading memoirs, tending to the indoor plants, and learning German. Their Instagram is at mugworlds. I thought maybe we could start off with talking about some of the the wisdom and care work prevalent in disabled communities. Care work as a concept in a disability activism context um, is only something that I really started thinking about and reading about and learning about within the last couple of years. Um, the person that I've, the person whose work I've engaged with the most on this topic is um, Leah Lakshmi Piepshna Samarasinya, who I also uh, talk about in the article um, because she has written this really incredible book um, all about care work called uh, Dreaming Disability Justice. Um, and the way that her writing describes this care work is, I guess, about how it's it's not really something that disabled people are necessarily aware that we're doing. It's almost like this this thing that just happens um, where we're taking care of each other and offering support and resources and medication um, or meals to one another. And it doesn't really feel like, it doesn't really feel like there's a name for it. It just feels like it's a process that we're all participating in just because, just because we want each other to survive. We want each other to live a bit longer and a bit more comfortable and feel a bit safer um, and so for me, I never really had a word for it or, or a term for it because it was just this thing that you did for your community. Um, and so reading Leah's writing about it was pretty transformative for me because 
I was like, oh, there's this, there's this name for this thing that I'm participating in and that my friends are participating in and it's connected to this wider thing of like this work that's so heavily undervalued by society and has been for such a long time and historically is like feminized and hidden and like not particularly um, not given very much weight. It's just, it's just something that people kind of take for granted. Um, And then suddenly it felt much bigger, this work that me and my community do with one another because it's like, oh, we're, we're actually doing something that's kind of revolutionary on a really small scale by taking care of each other um, in this way. And it's connected to all of these other um, intersections, all of these other communities who are also taking care of each other in these ways. Can, like, summarize mm-hmm. it that well yet because it still feels like a, a really complicated network of feelings for me Mm, for sure and yeah as you wrote about it comes from not receiving care not having like needs listened to in like an ableist society and other sorts of oppression as well yeah um and in this moment we're seeing the like sudden emergence of a lot of mutual aid groups which um, are offering support in the face of neglect from the state. Um, but I've, as you've written, the needs of disabled and chronically ill communities have long been neglected by ableism within mm-hmm. non-disabled communities. Could you talk about the sort of the sort of bittersweet um, feelings you have in this moment? Yeah. Um, so I, not long at all after um, everything became really, not long after it became known that everything was changing, um, I got invited to a Facebook group for the Melbourne inner north suburbs um, that had thousands of members and it was only created like a day or two earlier. And I was like, what? Like, oh, like it was, it was so amazing to see to see this mobilization of people, but I was, I was kind of like, Oh, suddenly, suddenly there's this, um, movement happening of mutual aid for local communities. And I was just kind of thinking that for a lot of people, for myself, of my friends and the people I care for in my wider community, the conditions aren't new. Um, a lot of us, already spend our whole lives at home, work from home, study from home, and with nowhere near the amount of concessions that people are currently being given. Um, And so I guess to experience life like that and have it feel so isolating and to mostly rely on either your close loved ones or your other disabled friends for um, community support to then be in the situation where able-bodied people are experiencing um, the conditions that you're used to 
suddenly they're like, oh, this is really bad. This is like, this is not good at all. Um, we need to be taking care of each other. We need to mobilize and we need to organize and make sure that the vulnerable people in our communities are um, being taken care of in this time, which is all obviously really incredible. But for me and a lot of my friends were like, but this is the way that it's been for us for so long. Why is it, why is it only now that, um, that these support networks are being created? Um, like why, why is it that it took, uh, able-bodied people experiencing these things for them to finally get it and finally start trying to help us. Um, that, that was pretty bittersweet knowing that it was always possible for this kind of action to happen and for this kind of organization to happen, not just within activist communities, but within people who like otherwise don't necessarily participate in this kind of organization to see thousands and thousands of people in my local community organized for me and around me, um, it just, it kind of sucks that it took a global pandemic to see that kind of care work happening. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. And also going back to Leah Lashmi's book, Care Work Dreaming Disability Justice, um... There's a passage in the book that talks about non-disabled people's responses to emergencies, which kind of tend to be unsustainable. Do you see much listening to the like ideas around how to make things like care work sustainable in the responses at the moment in terms of mutual aid work? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I think. Um, I think a lot of the organizing that we're seeing at the moment is very like fueled by adrenaline um, and it feels like it feels like people aren't necessarily thinking long term and are just kind of doing what needs to be not done now to get people to the point um, where I guess like the curve is or where coronavirus has stopped or, or whatever. Like, people are just trying to survive the here and now. Um, and so I don't know necessarily if people are thinking too much about what, what this is going to look like long-term. <clears throat> and that's a big reason that I um, wanted to write the article that I did is to, I guess, give more... I guess, like, shine more light on this thing that's currently happening that's really incredible and long, long overdue and being like, is this going to, is this still going to be the case after coronavirus? Um, can this now teach us that we we don't necessarily need a global pandemic for um, this kind of organisation to happen? Um, what can we learn from this? What can we take from this? 
And so I don't, I don't know if I necessarily um, have an answer for you, but what I, what I personally want to see is just people having conversations about like what this can look like long term, like we're doing right now, and and like um, like other um, disabled people and other activist communities are having just like what can our organising look like long term what can we learn from this um, how can we make this easier in the future things like that like I, I just think it's so important that those conversations be had mm, yeah for sure and I suppose there's it's being more shared around like productivity being not a thing to aspire to but in terms of the pandemic the pandemic so it's like changing the conversation to like that in general Mm -hmm. um is one thing I've seen going back to sort of where you end the article in terms of a lot of really good questions around yeah whether non-disabled people might reflect more around accessibility and supporting their sick and disabled friends or not and at the time of this interview we see in Australia, some of the stay-at-home restrictions may be starting to be loosening. Has your th- how have your thoughts changed over the last month and a half? Around, yeah, if you're somewhat hopeful about think this being an opening or... Um, I recently, a couple of weeks ago, I think, I'm not really sure because time feels so strange at the moment, but I read an article... So I think it's it's more of an essay by um, Joanna Hedfer, who who wrote an article um, a couple of years ago called Sick Woman Theory. And in this essay, um, they're talking about how historically we tend to place illness and revolution on two opposing ends of the spectrum where illness is seen as... Um, very focused around like inaction and being passive and um, being immobile and revolution is all about, you know, movement and action and things like this. Um, And they're talking about seeing now this like this totally strange situation that we're all in Um, and how people are organising from home, what that can tell us about um, the ways in which sick people and illness can be involved in revolution and in organising and how um, creating change from your bed is like something to be ashamed of and isn't the wrong way to be doing things and is actually really powerful as we've seen where we're all, you know, a lot of us are just in our bedroom who aren't necessarily disabled. Like that's just kind of the default place that a lot of people have to be. Um, And so I think that's a really nice and accessible way of thinking about it and kind of what my final questions in the article we're getting towards um, this idea that for so long sick people have been excluded from these large 
um, movement-based conversations because we're often at home or in the margins. But um, like looking at what what kind of wisdom and and what kind of um, resources and experiences we can now take from people who are used to organising at home within their communities, um, how we can take, how we can, you know, draw from that and and what that means for revolution and what that means for organising um, in ways that are accessible and sustainable for everybody. Yeah, that's a really great note. Um to probably end on because I don't have any other questions other than there's anything else you'd like to add or close on? Um, I guess just encouraging people to talk to the sick and disabled people in your life about how much has actually changed since um, the pandemic. I know that a lot of friends of mine, um, when when all of the sorry, when a lot of able bodied people were talking about having to work from home and being really bored and all of these things and we were all kind of like we can teach you, like we we know how to do this. We've been practicing, we're experts in like being chaotic in this specific way. Um, so yeah, my my thing that I would like to reflect on is like maybe this is an opportunity where you can learn from your sick and disabled friends about surviving this kind of uncertainty um, and, yeah, just checking in with them as as well Um, because it's pretty scary and pretty um, full-on for everybody, um, I guess, Sick and disabled people just have this um, additional fear or, I don't know, I guess my, my takeaway is just to have conversations with your sick and disabled friends, I guess. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. The theme music I'm using for this week's show is Heterosexuality. It's no good for me. By Dash Lockwell. Bye, until next time. Now I'm going to play Look at You Go by June Jones from her release Diana last year. So original 
quintuple and you're all kind of me And I like it when my friends don't all look like each other was June Jones with Look At Her Go. Many of you will be familiar with 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June Station Appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. Yes, keep your eyes peeled and bank accounts ready for supporting the Station Appeal. We are a grassroots radical radio station and rely on listener support to keep going. Further, donations to 3CR are tax deductible. Now I'm rebroadcasting a wide-ranging conversation I had in September 2018, a very different time, so please note specific event information is dated. It touches on some of the themes raised in the first half of the show, including a reference to Leo Lashmi. I definitely recommend checking out her writing. 
We hear now from Jessica Abashi and Fox Smolder from In Sickness and Self, a disability, chronic illness and mental illness artist collective on their month-long exhibition and, and showcase. That happened in October 2018 and was entitled All the Feels. First, I'd just like to ask about what were the origins of In Sickness and Self? The origins? Um, yeah. I think we were both dealing with our own individual illnesses and um, we met in art school and we sort of, because of these illnesses, had not done work, um, a lot of artwork, sort of taken a bit of a break and so we decided to sort of make our own collective so that it would encourage us to make our own work and then encourage other people dealing through similar things to also be part of something like this. Yeah, thanks for that intro, Iris. Um, we're both WA people. Um, go the Eagles. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah, as long as Collingwood lose, I'm happy. <laughs> um, yeah, so we um, had kind of an interesting experience in art school where we ended up having to kind of rebuild after the traumatising nature of being <laughs> to at art school. Mm. Um, but have um, found that a lot of people with chronic illnesses, disabilities and mental illnesses were finding it a lot harder to access art spaces um and so we've tried to implement um intersectional approaches to trying to create more accessible spaces um with making sure that people can opt in and opt out when they need to because of the fluctuating nature of illnesses uh we only do shows in accessible spaces our first one wasn't um yeah but (laughs) that's Mm. our commitment now um and we um trying to make sure that we have a, a, diff, a bunch of different ways that people can engage so that we have a zine going as well so that if people can't make it to events and just to try and reduce the isolation that people feel um, in the various disabilities and chronic illness communities but also that how much that's compounded with art spaces and how lonely they are in general. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so you found in art schools there's lots of, I guess, systemic and institutional sort of barriers sort of came up for you and you met each other there. Yep. Yeah, and you found this collective which is really necessary to, like, combating um, systemic ableism and all the other intersections, I guess. Um, Yeah, we're both from working class backgrounds and um, that's a big thing that's exclusionary in art spaces mm, as well. Yeah. it's hard to get the materials to make the things to even do the course, let alone... Or even getting <laughs> spaces, paying for spaces. Yeah, the the weird um, nature of having to apply for spaces and pay for them. Mm. Um, so we try to, um, with our various um, capacity levels, <laughs> um, take on the application process, which is um, for galleries and try and get grants and do the organising space to just kind of facilitate so that other people can just kind of walk in, make the work and go. Yeah, cool. Um, could you tell listeners a little bit about, more about the event coming up on the 10th and disclosure I'm also doing re- a little poetry thing? <laughs> Yay, so lucky to have you. <laughs> um, so it's going to be a bit of an extravaganza. <laughs> We're both quite stressed about it, but it's... <laughs> going to be a bit of a multidisciplinary event um, happening on World Mental Health Day during World Mental Health Week. 
awareness week. week. Yeah. Um, so it's going to involve musical acts, um, spoken word and readings and um, an art exhibition, which will go on for the month, and also um, some digital works, which will be screened on the uh, digital screens in Loop Project Space. Um, yeah, also some stalls and a zine. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, there's going to be... Um Spectra is going to be on sale there, sale there with, um, which is a um, cutie pop zine around mental health. Um, and, yeah, we've been really lucky to work with Loop because they've got an accessible space which has got um, gender-neutral toilets and stuff like that and they've pretty, been pretty inclusive in a lot of the ways that we've yeah. tried to work and given us access to both both sides for from, like, 6 till midnight, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, and there's, uh, you just get tickets on the door because I think people will come and go. So the, rather than having a set number that people might miss out on, can just come in and have a look. Yeah, cool. Sounds like it's going to be an amazing night. Um, I think you sort of touched on this a bit already, but what are, some, are there any more challenges that you've encountered in try, putting on the event? Yeah, um, I mean, it is very challenging um, oh, for, for myself. I have um, fatigue and cognitive impairments from fatigue and mental illness, but also from um, you know disease which has attacked my brain. But um, that means that just trying to remember to answer all the emails and things like that has been like yeah. quite a strong thing. But like that in how it relates to everyone else having their own needs. Like it's a interesting space to work in in um, disability and chronic illness area of there's a lot of competing needs that actually are directly run directly op- opposite mm-hmm. to each other. Um, and you want to do your best and you want to make sure that people can be included. But sometimes like, for example, like especially, especially when it comes to art forms, when people can't have flashing lights and we've got animations, um, there's just like constant problem solving and trying to figure out and for something like the mental health event we're going to have to put a very big list of comprehensive trigger warnings because mm. that's the nature of the event but not wanting to um silence people in the way that they express themselves as well so it's kind of like constantly trying to walk the line and yeah knowing you're going to get it wrong yeah i think <laughs> with every event we do we sort of learn about people's individual accessibility and um yeah so this is no different every event we do is just like something else that we learn yeah yeah cool um for the zine you're putting together that's coming out on the 10th as well um what could you give us a glimpse of what's coming out and anything you've read in terms of contributions that are coming into it yeah for sure um there's Um, there's been quite a, quite a lot of art submitted, which has been really great. And, um, there's a lot of people that we've never met before who've, who've submitted this time. Um, some people who have submitted have been, um, inpatients. And I think that's really important because as a, in the mental health sector, I think we get a lot of, uh, like a division of who gets to speak and who doesn't. And a lot of people who have been inside institutions don't necessarily get to be at the forefront. Um, Oh, yeah, we've also got um, some 
documentation and hopefully a write-up on um, the Disability Pride mural that happened in Footscray um, that Larissa McFarlane put on, um, which was a really important event that happened the other week and is still up. So if you head down to Footscray, go check it out. Um, yeah. Um, I'm staring at Jess, but that's not really helpful because I'm doing the scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know much about the scene. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah um, I'm just going to put this sort of general question I was thinking about earlier. Um, how might, like, assumptions of productivity and time in arts and society be challenged from a disability standpoint? Totally, totally. Um your productivity is not your worth and I think under capitalism and I think it's one of the hardest things to deal with with internalised ableism Mm. that comes as just constantly pushed through ableism and then when you get into something like the art sector where you're expected to be a full-time volunteer and pay for Mm. everything and actually, you know, like work a job to run shows (laughs) rather than make money out of what you do it just gets compounded um so i think it's really important that we try and make spaces where people can sell their work which is why we're having stalls and also people can sell their work through loop um and we don't take commission or anything like that um and from the performer's perspective as well we try like money from the door goes to the performers and going to make um, raising funds for future events so um but yeah it's a it's a really incredibly hard thing and a lot of people definitely internalize it a lot so it's a constant dialogue of trying to reaffirm that if people can't do something right now that's okay and but it, it is a constant dialogue because we've all put so much on ourselves to yeah just be productive mm. all the time and it, i think it really affects us as a yeah. collective, <laughs> yeah. because we only really tend to do maybe one or two events a year, mm. um, because that's the capacity that we have to do things. So we put everything into the events that we do, yeah. and then we both end up getting unwell. Um, <laughs> Inevitably. <laughs> um, yeah, so we do put a lot of effort and um, yeah into everything we do, but yeah, there is only so much. Yeah, and I think it's also like what counts as productivity as well. Like, there's um, mm. like in art and in activism and in organising in general. Like, there's just so much background work that doesn't yeah. count and yeah. isn't seen as important, and just honouring that no one sees. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, all of the artists that have been in the shows are just outstanding people who contribute to their community in so many different ways, and the community wouldn't exist without them. But how much? someone outside that community might value that person's work is really limited so it's good to have a space where it's predominantly people with disabilities chronic illnesses and mental illnesses which is you know a massive overlap um just to even give each other the support of seeing each other yeah and meeting each other yeah i think a lot of the people we work with don't really know each other and we most of the people we work with, we've never even met in person. So, yeah, it's yeah. a good way of like building community within this space. And I think it's it's also quite a a rough community in some ways. Like it's broad notions about what all those different labels mean and where you fit within that. But um, a lot of people within the discourse might not feel like they are enough mm. in different ways. So it's trying to 
keep it as broad as possible without trying to undercut the particular oppressions that some people face in the, in the circumstance. So, um, so this one's around mental health. The last one we did was around invisible illnesses because it's a particular type of yeah. um, space <laughs> that people <laughs> are coming from. Yeah. Um. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. Isolated? Quarantined? Need some essentials but can't leave the house? Or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment? Queer Aid NAM is a new mutual aid group of organised volunteers. We're here, we're queer, and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you, help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on QueerAidMelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook, COVID-19 Queer Aid Nam Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends, and don't forget your neighbours. That's QueerAidMelbourne.org, a 3CR supporter. Yeah, you, I went to that exhibition. I was at um, Vic Uni's Metro Space last year. Um, yeah, Invisible. Yay. It was really good. Um, um, what was? How did it go? And how did you find it went? And what sort of feedback did you have around the exhibition? Um, I think overall it was pretty positive, um, especially from the artists who were involved. A, lo- a few of them we knew personally. Um, a lot of them had never exhibited before, so that was the first time um, for some of them. And the first time they felt comfortable to exhibit certain works around their illnesses. Um, so I think overall it was quite a successful event. Um, yeah, I yeah. think um, the thing of people exhibiting for the first time is really important to us both because of kind of... Um, trying our best to support people to express themselves and undercut this elitism that only some people can do art as opposed to it. It's a really important social function and community mm. experience. Um, I think from that we probably learn a bit about um, community consultation and ways of trying to work with spaces to make sure that people um, would be included, uh, particularly like... Um, there was stuff about what times the gallery opened, when the toilets opened and things like that. They're just like logistical things that every space is different so you have to renegotiate every time. But it gave us a big list of things that we'd ask ne- next time. Um, but it was it was really good for a lot of people who participated who aren't um, read as being disabled or chronically ill but still um, suffer the same sort of isolations and impairments um and kind of get that mixed thing of your 
you're not disabled enough or you look like you should be fine, so get over it. And um, I think that's quite a particular space for people to operate in, but also like the nature of fluctuating illness where people may need aid sometimes and then not other times and how people judge them on that sort of basis. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so many things. Also, that was a dry space. That was our first experience with it, um, experimenting with having a dry space, and I think that was really important yeah. that, like, occasionally we do events that, um, yeah. like, I'm from a queer community and it's not very dry space friendly in general. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we don't really have those events that often. And then, you know, especially when you're dealing with communities with various things, which means they can or can't drink, or but also, like, recognising addiction and what, you know, what a role that plays in our communities, I think it's really important to have at least some events that are dry. Yeah, you had some great um, mocktails there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a really interesting response to that because some people were like, oh, awesome, like, you know, 50% cordial um, <laughs> mocktails. But also other people were like quite angry <laughs> that there wasn't booze. Um, so that's something that we could have yeah. like probably flagged a bit earlier <laughs> and dealt with differently, but note yeah. to yourself. <laughs> mm, okay. Um, just opening up another sort of big question. There's been many discussions about self-care and community care in different communities. I mean, for like ever. Um, but um, yeah, and I also reflect on this a lot in terms of my own mental health stuff. Um, mm. In what sort of way does a disability perspective build understandings of interdependence and community care in contrast to individualism? Yeah, right. Um, well, I'm someone who for a period of my life has had to have someone do most of the jobs for me and care for me. Um, and I found, um, having not come from that perspective initially, that was a extremely confronting thing to go through. And I think that... Um, it's so disability discourse is so good in challenging all these things that we take for granted of things that you should be able to do and like the word should in general um because like you're not less worthy or less of a person like your needs are your needs and they should always be met and I think that's such an important framework to have but especially in an activist context, like uh, the amount of things, the events that we organise and stuff like that, that we just, we do trades and compromises all the time on who can and can't come mm. and what that really says and what effect that has on people's lives. And um, I've found like most activism to be largely inaccessible to me now. And so I had to find new ways of engaging with things. And without that discourse, I think I would have really struggled to do anything because it's that whole thing of like, paying um your rent to live on the earth in the um the way that you work but it's smashed in with that productivity <laughs> mindset of it has to be done like this and it has to be this many numbers and it has to be visible to all these people mm. yeah <laughs> you self-care self-care um Sorry, could you repeat the question again? I'm yeah, it was a, a big question. Um, <laughs> I was just around, like, there's, there's a lot of discussion about self-care and community care, and then um, I suppose, like, different writers have talked about interdependence. I suppose, like, 
I suppose like yeah, um, like I know me and Mingus has written a lot about like access, intimate, intimacy, and interdependence, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts on like interdependence and community care in contrast to more like an individualistic understanding. Yeah. Um, I think we try and sort of reinforce that community care aspect in everything we do in our collective. I think that's really important. Um, and that's probably the main reason we started the collective is to build this really um, open support network. Um, and so I think that's what people get from our, our events. Um, yeah, so we try and cater to everyone and make sure everyone is everyone's needs are met, which is which can be quite sometimes stressful on us individually, but we try our best. Um, yeah, we just try and like cater to everyone and um, yeah. I think both of us come from like fairly socialist <laughs> perspectives too. So like. Um, uh, I'm going to not get the quote right, but, you know, each from their ability to according to their needs sort of thing. Um, yeah. Everyone does what they can and gets their needs met sort of model is what, yeah, we we want in all areas yeah. and um, people should be able to live full lives in whatever way that's possible and whatever that means for them. Um, and I think, yeah, it's really it's really full on to put it um, like obviously self-care is super important in terms of burnout yeah. and all that sort of stuff but it's also like that culture of like we just watch people burn out and pile them up with everything and like mm -hmm. set them off into the sunset all alone and you know that's not part of um, you know that's that person can only do so much self-care once we've done that that's everyone's responsibility to look after each other um, yeah. yeah. Um, there was, uh, I can't remember the full details of this, but there was a webinar put on by some people in the US. Um, there was one that was, um, Leah Lush, me did one, another mm. one like Kai Cheng, Thomas, other people, some trans femmes did one. And mm. it, like, it was important like discussions I um, listened to on there. And, and uh, one I remember in particular, it was, um, around like reaching out that the burden of reaching out shouldn't be placed on people that are experiencing like psychological distress and crisis like people should have be talking to their friends and checking in so it's not just all on totally yeah yeah so that was one thing that came to mind from that um and leah Lakshmi stuff i find really interesting too around the crossover between um like the the field of caregiving and femme yeah responsibilities um and i think that's a really interesting space for us to like try and navigate of like um like how do you work out what's reinforcing femme roles mm. kind of thing and what is actually what we want everyone to do so exactly what's, <laughs> actually, what's a fair trade yeah <laughs> yeah yep. there's, yeah for listeners that might there's an article on bitch media um about fair trade economy if you Google that, that might come up with it. <laughs> but I'll provide a link to it in the notes of the show. Um, yeah, so another thing that came out recently was an article in The Guardian that talked about 
cuts to disability support access, which is making many people with chronic illnesses' lives more miserable by knocking them back onto a smaller payment. Um, that was published in The Guardian this week and written by Stacey Thompson. Are you seeing that come up a lot in different communities you're a part of? Yeah, totally. And I think um, in chronic illness um, particularly, um, where things might not be recognised um, as much or it's harder to get recognition for disability status and things like that. Um, there's a lot of people who aren't on payments or get kicked off completely and it's really full on that um, in this work and in some of the queer work that we're part of, like, just trying to show people we love them and we want them to survive it is, like, it's it's really upsetting that that's the level that sometimes you've got to pitch out because it's so hectic, all these attacks on people with disabilities and chronic illnesses, um, but they are just so full-on um, and people are really, really suffering from it. And I think also that thing of, like, always being at risk of being kicked off is such a, like, massive thing and where people don't feel like they're able to re-engage or, and like, legitimately don't feel like that. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, I think coming back to the events we do, like, knowing everything that's going on in the disability sector, um, I just sort of... Yeah, I think the work we do is really important because of that. It gives people a space to sort of be themselves and not think about some of the other... Um, things going on in their lives that maybe they're struggling with. Um, I remember the, like, first event, first exhibition we did, we had two ladies who were part of it who both had Lyme's disease and just hearing them talk about how difficult it was to be on disability pension or trying to even get on to disability mm -hmm. pension because the disease is not um, recognised in Australia and, like, how thankful they were to actually have the space to express themselves and, um, yeah, feel comfortable in the exhibition that we did, um, which was quite small and intimate and, yeah. Um, yeah. But also as um, to create spaces which can be continued frameworks to have resistance and protests, like, I think we need to be protesting this stuff and people, and people definitely are already. Um, so we try to use our Facebook page just as a thing of when we can't make it down to something to be able to promote it and um, keep the discourse going. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think to finish off, um, I was... Um, yeah, I just want to ask, what would you like to see more of in queer communities? Um, in queer communities... Um, I think having events at spaces that you don't have to go up several flights of stairs yeah. for would be <laughs> like just an immediate thing. Um, not ha having a range of events that aren't always on at night. Um, mm -hmm. Not just accepting that everything, like that you have to pay a million dollars to get into things. Um, yeah. Less drinking. I mean, you said one thing, yeah, but I'm just like going. Um, no, multiple. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I think trying to actually work with people with disabilities and chronic illnesses and mental illnesses in the organising of events, like it's 
no good to do your consultation after you've set up the event and someone's like, oh, that's a bit shit, and you change one thing yeah. or you put an apology in. Like, if you want those people to be there, you've got to do that from the start. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would like to see more events in accessible spaces, which is difficult because we live in a city that is very inaccessible, I think. Sure. Um, even transport and things like that is sort of quite inaccessible for certain people. Um, yeah, I think I would like to see more of an intersection between artists with disability and chronic illness and mental illness and the queer community. I feel like there's a bit of a separation there. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be so important for those things to be more a part of everything that's going on. Um, thanks so much, Fox and Jess, for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks oh, for nice. having us. <laughs> and that was Jessica Bashi and Fox Smolder from In Sickness and Self, a disability, chronic illness and mental illness artist collective that spoke to me in September 2018. What a very different time, hey, to this pandemic. And that's all we have time for on Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio this Sunday. Um, you can hear Queering the Air every Sunday from 3 to 4 p.m. Check out our podcast at 3cr.org.au forward slash Queering the Air. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can message us on our Facebook or Twitter. Also, give us a like or a follow there. If not over social media, you can also shoot us an email at queeringtheair at gmail.com. Stay tuned to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. The theme music I'm using for this week's show is Heterosexuality, It's No Good For Me by Dash Lockwell. Bye, until next time. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.